and they'll take good care of you, all right, in the balcony as well. So thank you so much for being here. Well, I don't know how many Sundays you've been able to come over the past 11, but we've made a strong investment of our time into one series. We've invested 11 weeks, including this morning, into one sermon series. Now, that's a lot of sermons. That's a lot of time. Uh, normally, I, I wouldn't preach a, a series this long, to be honest. The majority of series would go maybe five weeks, four weeks, at the max, six or seven. Eleven sermons is a very long series. In fact, we've almost spent our entire summer in one sermon series. Even prior to, uh, we've been in this longer, going back to before school uh, graduation. And we've been talking about our attitudes for a long time. And so the purpose of this morning's message is to take everything we've invested in this series on the power of our attitudes and to determine this morning what kind of difference it's going to make in our lives. You see, I'm convinced that God's people still struggle with something that Jesus pointed out in Matthew chapter 7. In the great sermon on the mount, he talked about someone who's building a house. And he said that that this builder is going to either build on a foundation of sand or on a, on a rock. And he refers to this builder who builds on sand as a foolish man. And then he refers to this builder who builds upon a rock, a wise man. And I'm sure all of us would choose to be that wise man. And in reality, most of us have, well, all of us here this morning have made the first decision that leads to being a wise man. With a good attitude. And that is that we are hearers of the word. What Jesus pointed out in the Sermon on the Mount about both of those men is they both heard God's word. Both of these men came to church. Both of these families came to church. The difference was, when he spoke of the wise man, he said he heard the word of God and did what it said. And built his house upon a rock. And when the winds blew and when the storms came, his house stood. But that man who built his house upon the sand, he too heard the word of God. Very similar. But he did not do what it said. And when the winds came and the floods came, his house collapsed. I'm fearful today that so many Christians are living lives in collapsed houses, living under the weight and the burdens of life. In in, in fact, if we were to take our Old Testament story and sum it up with the words that Jesus used about these children of Israel, they wandered in the wilderness. We might say, you either are going to live a life of victory or a life of wilderness wanderings. And it's all based upon whether or not You will do what the Word of God says. And so this morning, I would like for us to look one more time in the Old Testament. One more time. And I'd like for us this morning to look at one of the most radical things that God ever did. It's just, I know that's my opinion. But I I, I look over the Old Testament and there were many things that were, were, were decisions that God made that sometimes you scratch your head and say, wow, that was radical, that was strong. 
But here in this passage in Numbers, God led two million people from Egypt to the promised land. And then when they got to the edge of the promised land, God said, you're not going in. And best we can tell, the reason why they did not go in is because primarily of their complaining, their murmuring, their grumbling, their attitudes. We understand just from that that God's not into that. God's not into these bad attitudes. God's, God's very, very serious about the attitudes that we have. And so when they come to the edge of the promised land and complained about the things that God had done for them, God said, you're not going in. And their complaining led to criticizing and their criticizing led to doubting and their doubting led to rebellion. And it kept them from having genuine intimacy with God. And I wonder how many of us at times are, are, are missing uh, what God has for us in, in this Christian life that he's saved us and, and bought us and, 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 and brought us into a place of service in a local church and we've worshipped this morning and we've been together this morning but the true difference maker is how will we live our lives during the week? What choices will we make as we come to this decision? You know, you'd have thought they learned their lesson. You would have thought that they would have learned their lesson. But we come to Numbers chapter 21, and it's 40 years later now. And the children of the parents who complained are now ready to go into the promised land. They're ready to go. But we find that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You know, I think it's important... That as parents, we understand how much our attitudes will affect our children. And we see here the attitudes of the parents had affected the children. So we come to Numbers 21 where we're going to take six final thoughts about our attitudes. And the first thought is this. The circumstances of life bring us continually or constantly to a fork in the road. Joe was so correct in talking about the circumstances of life because we constantly have a choice to make, don't we? Hardly a day goes by where everybody in this room is not faced with a choice to make. So let's look at their choice in Numbers 21, verse 4. It says here that they had journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Let me tell you a little bit about this verse and what had happened to them here. They had come to the land of Edom. Edom is the land of the Edomites. They're descendants of Esau. And they came to this land and they were on their way to the promised land. And they were going to be inconvenienced. You see, the people of Edom said, you cannot go through our land. They were kind of concerned about it being dangerous. Here's two million people coming through uh, our land and, and, and we're concerned about, we don't know you very well. This is, we just don't trust you. And so you're going to have to go around our land. And as a result of that, they come to this, as I mentioned, a, a fork in the road. They came to a place where they had to make a decision. And it says the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Because of the situation they were in. They, they, there was only one thing they can, could, could, could control here. 
that they couldn't control the climate. They could not control the weather. Man, yesterday, if I could have controlled the weather, I would have said, you know what, God? Don't, don't let it rain on our church work day. Why would you do that, God? You see, God doesn't operate on the same timetable and decision-making logic as I do. And so the circumstances of life sometimes bring us to a place that we can't control and we find the only thing we can control is our attitudes. It's the only thing we can control. How often do we come to a fork in the road where we really can't control much? We can't control where we live. We can't control where we work. But the one thing we can control is our attitudes. I can choose the way I respond to this. Why is it that people can go through the same thing and one person come through so much better than the other? How is it that we can come to the same service and hear the same sermon and yet one person come through it and, and, and do so much better than the other? I believe it's the choice we make about our attitudes. I believe it's coming to that fork in the road and making a choice. Am I going to complain or am I going to be thankful? I believe it's coming to that fork in the road and saying, am I going to covet or am I going to be content? I believe it's coming to that place where you say, am I going to criticize or am I going to love? It's coming to that that fork in the road, that circumstance of life that says, am I going to doubt God's goodness or am I going to have faith that God never makes a mistake? Am I going to come to the place where I say, you know what, God, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm going to do it my way. Or do we say, God, I totally submit to your will, whatever it is. Attitude. What kind of choice will you make? You see, life does not have to be dry and cheerless and dead. Life can bring joy and peace and happiness. And so number one. The circumstances of life bring us continually to a fork in the road. Number two, thought number two is this. Complaining or murmuring is choosing the road that leads to the wilderness. Murmuring, the foundational bad attitude, where it all started. Complaining. Have you ever wondered how you got where you are in life? I've often wondered that. How'd I get here? What? Man, I am so down in the dumps. Why am I here? Why am I so discouraged? Why am I so defeated? How did I get to this place, God? And I've come to this conclusion, church. It's an attitude that I've chosen. I got here because I looked at my situation and I decided I am going to choose to have this attitude. I'm going to respond to it this way. You'll notice here in the next verse, it's an amazing verse. It's probably the most stunning verse in the entire passage. It's verse number five. And what's interesting about this verse is after they got discouraged, right? Remember? They got discouraged. It says in verse number four, the very last words, and the people was much discouraged because of their circumstances. Look at verse five. And here's their response. You ready? Here's their response. 
And the people spake against God and against Moses. They said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread. There's no water. And by the way, God, our soul hates this food. We see in that one verse all five negative attitudes. The first one we see is they spake against God and against Moses. We see two, two, two attitudes there. We see criticizing and rebelling. Criticizing and rebelling. Anytime you speak against God, you are in rebellion. And they spake against Moses. They decided we're going to criticize the leader. It's his fault. He got us in this mess. We're going to criticize Moses and we're going to criticize God. Number two. Then they said, why God? Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? We see, secondly, the attitude of doubt. The negative attitude of doubting God's goodness. God, you don't care about us. You're not being good right now. God, you said this, and and now look what's happening, God. And they begin to call God a liar. They begin to doubt God's goodness. They begin to question God's love for them. And then it says this. By the way, God, there is no bread and there is no water. Two things. One, lie total lie. There was water. In fact, if you go to chapter 20, you'll find that there was water. In fact, Moses struck the rock, water came out, and I guarantee it was better than hot springs, spring valley water. If God made the water when he bottled it, I can promise you it was pure and good and tasty and fantastic. And they had food. It was manna. What we see when they said we have no water, we have no food, is not that they didn't have any water and have any food. They just didn't have what they wanted. Covetousness covetousness oh we got it we just we want more we want better we want different covetousness and then finally they say and god by the way we loathe this bread we loathe this food loathe means hate god we hate what you provided complaining now they're complaining all five negative attitudes Criticizing, rebelling, doubting, covetousness, and complaining. Complaining is choosing the road that leads to the wilderness. And that's where they're headed. Just like their parents. Same attitudes mom and dad had. Crazy, isn't it? Look at number three. Thought number three. God is, is, is worked up about this. God is is really upset about something. Look at it. He's upset about attitudes here. He's worked up about attitudes because it reveals the true person. Look at Luke chapter number 6 on the screen. For of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You see, I'm convinced... That your attitude reveals who you truly are. According to scripture. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, one thing Christians are really good at is we're really good at getting our external behavior in order while inside we remain a mess. I mean, look at us this morning. We look great. We look great. I mean, let's just begin with me. I mean, look, 
For you tie lovers, I got a tie on. I'm good. Oh, oh yeah, I'm looking good. I got pleats in my pants. Look at those shoes. Man, them suckers are shine. I mean, I've got this new Banana Republic jacket on. Sup? Fresh haircut for a ball, man. I'm looking good. And so what everybody thinks is, I got it all together. Well, you look good too. I look good. We all look good on the outside. Christians are great about external behavior. We've emphasized it in our churches. I mean, dress a certain way, look a certain way, act a certain way. While inside, we remain a mess. I'm convinced we don't just need to look the part. We need to be the part. And being the part begins with our attitude. Because attitude produces. Attitude reveals the true person. And then thought number four. From our text, God is concerned about our attitudes because attitudes predict the future. It's the coolest thing. It's amazing. You say, well, preacher, why is this sermon series so important? Eleven weeks. I mean, I've been, when are you going to start something new? Well, I'm going to tell you, here, here's, here's the sermon. This is it. We're done. I mean, after this one, we're going on to something else. But before we do, I just want to predict your future. I want you to know I am a prophet. Are you ready? According to the word of God in Proverbs 27, 23, verse 7, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Let's go back to the statement we've been making almost every week that attitudes are patterns of thinking formed over a long period of time. It doesn't just happen. You are all of a sudden not wandering in the wilderness. No, no, no. It began years ago when you began to develop an attitude of complaining, an attitude of ingratitude, an attitude of doubt. And over a long period of time, you see, you cannot think critical, negative, fault-finding, complaining thoughts without becoming that person. You have become the attitude that you have. People say, you are what you eat. I say you are what you think. You are what you think. And so I challenge you this morning to look at your future and say, where am I headed? Where is this attitude getting me? Where is it getting my kids? I mean, do I need to look at my life right now and repent about some attitudes that are leading me down a path that's going to cause my entire life to wander in the wilderness of dry bones. I don't want this anymore. I want to live the joy-filled, abundant life as a man thinketh in his heart. Number five. God is concerned about our attitudes because they are primarily vertical. Now think about this. There's a lot of sins we commit that are are horizontal sins. Now, ultimately, every sin, obviously, is is, is against God. I know that. There are many sins that we commit that that affect other people as well. I mean, and, and, and ultimately, our attitudes do too. But I want you to know, primarily, our attitudes are vertical. Primarily, the attitude we have speaks how we feel about God. Now, let me tell you how I can come to this conclusion because if you study every attitude that we've presented as a negative attitude, go to the Old Testament, 
That's where we've been pulling out these negative attitudes from the children of Israel and their wilderness wanderings in the promised land story. And so if you go back and look at all of the negative attitudes, you're going to find a statement, two words linked to every single bad negative attitude. And that is this, against God. Against God. They spake against God. Every one of them. Every one of them in the story is linked to God. And so I say this morning, negative attitudes are against God and positive attitudes are praising God. You see, the negative attitudes, the problem attitudes are totally against God. He takes this serious. He takes their attitudes personal. And then when we're thankful and when we put our faith in him, when we trust him, God looks at that as, man, my people praising me. God takes it personal. No wonder he made such a radical decision not to let him to go to the promised land because of their attitude. Thought number six, and this is key, and we'll spend the majority of our, the remainder of our time on, on number six. And I want to, I want to develop this because here's where we're at, church. This is it. Look at verse number six and seven of Numbers 21. I want you to look at this with me. Have you ever come to, have you ever had an aha moment? You ever, you ever, you ever had one of those moments where it's just like, wow. Any of you Bible study people that love to kind of come up to that place in scripture where you're like, whoa, dude, I ain't never seen that before. I love those moments. I love the moments in, in my Bible study when I, when I come to a, a verse, a passage, a, 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 a paragraph of scripture where man, God just illuminates truth and says, do you see that? The Lord sent, verse 6, fiery serpents among the people. Fiery serpents, picture of sin. These fiery serpents are a picture of sin. And here's what these fiery serpents did. The same thing sin does, it bites you. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll cost you more than you want to pay. It'll leave you longer than you want to stay. You mess around with sin, it'll get its old nasty sharp fangs in you. It'll bite you and leave a scar that'll never go away. I'm telling you, sin is rough stuff. I got some scars. I've got a few. And so these fiery serpents bit the people. And much people of Israel died. But I got some good news. Look at verse 7. Wherefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. That's good. Some of you are like, I ain't admit nothing. I ain't, I, I ain't admit nothing. I, people will think I don't have it all together. Exactly. Repentance begins at the house of God. Listen, if you don't think our nation's not in trouble, you are in denial, my friend. If you don't sense and feel and see God's judgment upon the sins of our nation and the fact that we have forgotten God, righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach. And when God's people come to this place, it's fixing to get good. We've sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. So here's what Moses does. He says, God, 
Take away the serpents from us. Moses prayed that. Thought number six. Repentance from murmuring brings access to God's provision for victory. Repentance from complaining. Repentance from our attitudes that don't please God. You see, it is impossible to overemphasize the importance of repentance. It's impossible. I cannot emphasize it enough. Every good step with God begins with repentance. Every good step. That statement in verse 7 is the key statement to the entire message. We have sinned. Repentance is this. God, you're right and I'm wrong. My attitude is wrong, God. God, I am critical and I shouldn't be. Forgive me, God. I want to choose thankfulness, God. You've been good. God, forgive me of my covetous attitude. Lord, when I'm not content with what you've given me, when I want more and and I I know it doesn't please you, God, and I know what it says about myself. God, forgive me. I repent. God, I repent of my complaining attitude. God, I've I've got to stop this. It's affecting my children. It's affecting my church. It's affecting my home. It's affecting others, God. I just always seem to see the glass half full uh, or half empty. And and I always seem to see the negative. And I'm, I'm so analytical and so, oh, God, forgive me. I repent. So the series is over. Eleven weeks invested. Does any part of this series, 11 weeks of sermons, eight hours of preaching, does any part of this series warrant a Numbers 21-7 moment in your life? Was there anything that was said over the past 11 weeks that you would say, forgive me, I repent? Is there anything? But I want you to notice something here. They did repent, but God did not remove the fiery serpents. Moses asked, didn't he? God, I pray thee, I pray thee, God, take away the fiery serpents. Look at verse number seven. You'll see it with me. And he said, take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord says to Moses, make thee a fiery serpent. Set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten doesn't sound like they were taken away to me. God did not take away the trial. God does not remove the consequences of our choices. You see, what we're trying to do, and and forgive me, but our politicians have it all wrong. They're running on platforms that say, make America great again. America's not great. What America needs to do is repent and turn to God. I'm sorry, Miss Clinton, but you've got it wrong too. You're denying the problem. You're acting as if there's no big deal that you guys are doing great, that you're, our country's the, no, no, our country is fallen. Our country is turned from God. Let me tell you what we need to do. Repent. If somebody had the courage to stand and be honest and say, listen, this is a spiritual problem. We've turned from God. Our nation is not being blessed, not because of our economy, not because of, 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 of Wall Street, not because of, it's because we turned against God.
Though he does not remove the consequences of our choices, he does give us the grace and strength to go through these. God often lets us feel the weight of all the garbage that we create by not trusting him. He knows we need to feel that weight. He knows that that trial is going to ultimately help us to learn and bring us to a place of repentance because God knows no trial, no sense of need, and no sense of need, no coming to God. Could it be that the reason why God has sent some of these plagues to our land is that we would need him again? Remember 9-11? What happened for a month? What happened for a month? We all prayed. For 30 days, Dr. Grubbs, America said, Dr. Grubbs is our college CEO, and he and I talk a lot about this, but for 30 days, I thought, wow, pray for America. Nobody said anything about prayer. Our public schools prayed. The ball teams prayed. The, the, the signs prayed. Everybody was praying. The churches were filling. And for 30 days, it was as if we're getting it. God gave us some consequences of our choices in our country, but we're getting it. And then all of a sudden, it was all about making America great again. It's all about we can rebuild and we can do this and we can do this and we'll do better and we'll rebound and we'll come back. No. We repent. We repent. God, we need you. We need God this morning. I want you to notice something here. The people had to make a choice. In verse number 9, it says, or verse 8, it says, that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. So Moses made a serpent of brass, and he put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent bit any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, when he looked, he lived. Let's review the plan. It's not all that complicated. All right, here's what we're going to do. What I want you to do is I want you to take a serpent of brass, a, 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 you know, take some brass, make it into a serpent. I want you to put it on top of a pole. Lift the pole up. Get it high. And anybody who gets bit, listen, here's what they do. They look at the, at, at, at the brazen, at the, the brass the serpent of brass. How am, I, how am I saying that? Let me get it right. Anybody that gets bit, look upon the serpent of brass. I had it right. Look at it. That's all you got to do. Okay. You got it? So all we've got to do is if we get bit, look. And when you look, you will live. That's it. That's the instruction. I'm not taking away the fiery serpent, but I'll tell you what I will do. I will provide a solution. When you look at the serpent of brass, you will live. Simple, right? Sounds simple to me. Kind of like salvation. Simple, right? It is. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus paid the penalty for your sins. 
When you look to the cross, when you trust Jesus to, to, to cleanse you of all your sin, not yourself, but Jesus, you receive salvation. Sounds simple, right? And yet there were so many people that did not look. We know that people didn't look based on the fact that he made this statement. He said, and and when he that looketh upon it, he shall live, which leads us to believe that there were some that did not look upon it. Why would there be people who would not look? The same reason why there are people that come to church here and walk out unchanged. Hear sermon after sermon. Hear, Hear message after message and just keep on living like they're living. Same reason. Let me give you three. Number one, maybe they were denying their need. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I don't really need any help. I'm okay. I got this. I'm good. No, I'm good. Thanks for the message. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's true, but I'm good. I really don't need it. I'm good. My marriage is good. My kids are good. I'm good. I'm just good. Thank you. Maybe the next series will help me. Number two, maybe they denied the goodness of God. Man, God never makes a mistake. God is so good. God's in control. God knows what's, what I'm going through. Or, you know, maybe God doesn't know what's best. Maybe God is, is just playing games with me. Maybe, maybe God is not really real. Maybe, maybe God's, I don't know, I just, I don't know. Maybe God's not going to do what he said he would do. Maybe God's not really going to take care of me. Maybe God does care for the sparrow more than he cares for me. Or maybe number three. Maybe they denied the problem. Hey, hey, I think you got bit by a serpent. Look, your leg, look. Oh, no, I, I scratched myself. No, but look, they're fangs. I mean, you got bit, you need to look. Oh, no, no, I don't need to look. Uh, my fingernails are just sharp. I just, I fell and cut myself. I, I, no, that, no, I don't have a problem. Maybe that's you. How often do you come and see and hear and walk out and no change? I'm saying this morning, listen, we've invested all this time. We've invested all this time. We've poured our lives into this series. We've made much of Jesus. We've made much of our attitudes. Church, this is a life changer. This would be a series of messages that if we would embrace them, we would never be the same. We could make a difference, but we must come to a place of repentance. And if we look to Christ, we can have eternal life in this room if we've never been saved. You see, in the Old Testament, or rather sometimes in the New Testament, we see it linked to the Old Testament, and it's powerful. Because Nicodemus was a man who was lost, and Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You've heard it, right? It's not enough to be born once, you must be born twice. And then Jesus said in John chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. There it is. John 3, quoting Numbers 21. There she shows up again. There it is. There's that serpent lifted up. Just like Moses did that, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Have your sins been forgiven? Have you looked to Jesus? Have you looked to the cross? Do you know what it is to be forgiven of your sins and to have the promise of eternal life? You will never die and live forever. Do you know that? Have you looked to Jesus? Can you look to a time in your life when you turned from your sin and you embraced Jesus Christ? If not, I want to tell you this is the morning to do that. Look and live, look and live, look and live. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Look this morning and live. This morning, trust Christ as your Savior. Trust Him today. In this very room, the Holy Spirit of God moves and comes and says, I love you. I want to draw you today to the Father. Would you allow Him to save you this morning? If you do not know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven in just a moment. We're going to bow our heads and pray. And I want to encourage you to ask Jesus to save you this morning. This morning. In the balcony, on the main floor. Look and live. Look and live. You say, well, I don't know. Maybe. I Listen. Don't walk out of this building and neglect to look. You've been bitten. You've been bitten like I've been bitten by sin. Sin has cursed all of us. And without the solution, the antidote. Without Jesus, we're doomed. We're doomed to spend an eternity in hell. You've got to believe that. But you don't have to do that. You don't have to die and go to hell because Jesus died for you. He died in your place. And he wants to save you today. And then maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you do know Christ. But you've made some choices on that fork in the road to go in a direction that is leading you into the wilderness and it's just killing you it's just like are you tired of that are you tired of just wandering in life and constantly complaining and doubting and living in a critical spirit and negative attitude would you determine that God knows best that God's brought you to that place and what he wants you to do is make better choices in your attitude so you can live the victorious Christian life every head bowed and every eye closed this morning and as we come to a conclusion of our message and a series that's lasted 11 weeks I'm going to ask you a question what choice will you make are you 100% sure if you died you'd go to heaven if not I want to ask you to pray where you're seated and ask Jesus right now to save you. I mean, just ask him. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. God, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I accept what you did for me on that cross as payment for my sin. And this morning, I look so I can live forever. In eternity with you, Jesus. Come into my heart. Save me. Save me right now, Jesus. Save me. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. If you're in this building and heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one looking around for just a moment, if you're here in the balcony on the main floor and you would be honest and say, Pastor, this morning, that's what I did. That's what I've done sitting where I'm sitting, I've come to the place where I realized I'm a sinner. I, this morning, 
am asking Jesus Christ to save me. I want to be a Christian. I want to go to heaven. I am seeking this morning forgiveness of my sins. I repent and turn to Christ. If there's anyone like that this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you lift your hand right now where I can see it and pray for you? Just somebody. God bless you, sister. I love you. I see it. Who else? Would you lift your hand high enough where I can see it this morning? God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. That's awesome. Anybody else in the building, would you lift your hand? Maybe a mom or a dad, a brother, a sister, a man, a woman, a boy or a girl. Somebody that might say, pray for me, pastor. No one's looking around. God bless you and you in the back there. God bless you. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, if you are in a place where you can slip out when we stand and come down this altar and see one of our pastors up front, honestly, we would love to hear what Jesus Christ has done in your life. I would encourage you to come. Don't don't wait. Step out when we stand. Step out when we stand and come forward. Maybe you're a Christian and this morning you just need to pray. You need to get to a place where you can get on your knees and say, Father, I have sinned. Forgive me. Daddy, I'm sorry. You know we can call him Daddy, right? Did you know that? He's our Abba Father. Hey, Dad, I've had a rotten attitude. Hey, Dad, I'm sorry. Daddy, forgive me. Father, I love you. I I need you. I want to make better choices about my attitude, about the circumstances in life. And you come. Father, I love you, Jesus. I thank you for this opportunity to share God's word. Father, please take this message, these messages, and change us, God. Help us to be a church not guilty of hearing the word of God. I'm so afraid to pastor a church of hearers only. It's my greatest fear to pastor a church of good listeners. And that's it. Just good listeners. The best hearers in the world. But God, if we don't do anything about it, if we put no action to the message, if we don't do what it says, God, it'll never change us. So Father, bring us to a place of repentance this morning. Work in this building. Move in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand? You need to come. You come. Altars are open. Oh, be my anthem. Lord, when the world has fallen quiet, you stand beside me. me a song in the night and Jesus I need you every moment I need you here now this raise my heart sing out your praise forever for Find the weak and contrite heart, shoulder its burden, carry it into the light, and Jesus, I need.
at 600 Garland Street, Lord. Help us to be the family of God here that will make a choice to look and live, to look to Jesus, to take our eyes off this world, to admit that we've been bitten and we've been, we've been uh, uh, attacked by the, 
Satan and his fiery darts. And may we be healed, God. May we now experience something, Lord, that only a true believer can experience. And that is the mercy and grace and love of a heavenly daddy who would forgive us and love us and change us and make us new. So, Father, help us to walk out of this place, not just hearers, but doers. And may our attitudes be forever changed for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great day. Jesus, I need you every morning.